Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys in the house. Awesome to see so many teachers uh, with us uh, in first service. There'll be probably that many more in second service. A few weeks ago, we were, we were hanging out with uh, everybody in the church who is an entrepreneur. We had like a prayer time. It was really good. But one of the things I was telling that room of people was there's principally three kinds of people here at the Vineyard. There are business people and entrepreneurs. Uh, there are teachers and there are artists and musicians. And there are a handful of exceptions to that, but like 90% of who's here is one of those three categories. And so much of what God is doing and has done through our church comes through teachers. Really, really big deal. I mean, Jesus was a teacher. Like, that's what people called him everywhere they went. Teacher, could you help me? Could you give me an answer? Could you, could you show me? That's uh, such a big deal. And if you're a young person here today and you don't know what to do with your life, I just want to tell you, strongly consider being a teacher and a coach. You, you want to shape the world? Hang out with young men and young women. Be a teacher and a coach. That's really, really, really. If you want to be a giver and change the world, that's a great way to do it. And uh, you won't make the most money, but I'm convinced that like, it is something that Jesus sees and will reward uh, eternally even. I would say it. it's, it's that big of a deal. So that's not my message, <laughs> but I wanted to say it uh, today. Uh, Just a one-off message. We're going to start a new series next week. Uh, Starting next week, we're going to look at John chapter 3, and we're going to hang in John chapter 3 for four weeks. We're going to spend four weeks in one chapter. And uh, if you have a friend who maybe doesn't know Jesus, start bringing them next week because we're going to talk about being born from above for four weeks, being born again and being born from above. But today, I want to do a different project. Uh, I want to start with this question, what are people for? What are people for? And the reason I want to do that is because, well, I want to give you maybe a biblical vision that centers squarely on on human purpose. You know, like, why are you here? It's one of those questions that's that's perennial. Uh, It doesn't it doesn't die in the winter. Uh, It comes back every year and uh, every generation and every every people, not just here in the United States, but around the world through all time has been asking the question, like, what's the meaning of all of this? Like, why are we here? What's, what's the point? And I, I just want to tell you that there are a lot of different answers to that question. Uh, science says something like this. Science says that people are for making more people. That'd be a biological answer. Like, what is, what is the purpose of a person? Well, to find another mate, to exchange genetic material, and then to die. That's the point of everything that's alive. That's what science says. Uh, Economics says that the point of a person or the point of it all is to be productive. Economics says uh, that if if you can, do something with your life and be more of a producer than you are a consumer. And that sounds good for a while until you get tired. And philosophy has a few answers too. There's a lot of philosophical answers. But the postmodern answer is something like this. People are for telling their own story. Uh, 
postmodernism would say that there is no meta-narrative. And so to the degree that there is any narrative or any story or any truth, it's one you have to make up. And so there's nothing, there's nothing particularly uh, ordinal about life. Uh, if there is a cardinal direction, it'll be the one that you find and you make on your own. Uh, we're all gods in our own universe. That's what postmodernism says. And here's what I want you to know this morning. I find all of that tremendously unsatisfactory. It's really, really unsatisfactory. I find these underwhelming. Uh, there's just so much more to life than passing on your genes and reproducing. If, uh, if the point of life is hard materialism, as found in the sciences, if it's just passing on genetic material, how many of you know that by that standard, Jesus and the Apostle Paul were failures? How many of you know that, that Jesus wasn't a failure, right? Uh, Jesus never got married. Uh, he never had children. Uh, and yet, uh, he was not a failure. And, and the other thing I would like to say about that, even at this point, is, uh, uh, is that because of Jesus and the Apostle Paul and many, many others uh, throughout time, uh, part of their life stands as a testament to say something like this. Life is more than marriage, even. Uh, you can have a full and abundant life as a single person, you know, that's just what you need to know. Maybe some of you are here this morning and, and you don't have a mate and you felt pretty weighed down by that. I just want you to know this morning, like even in your singleness, even if it extends for the rest of your life, you can have a full and abundant God ordained life. Life is more than marriage because life is more than the passing on of genetic material to create another person. It's a big deal. People are more than what they make. Here's why people are more than what they make. They're quite precious apart from their ability to make something in this world. And, and here's why. Because they carry the indelible mark of God upon them. Not only that, but Jesus said this in the Gospels. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. I've been thinking about that this morning. Especially as it relates to the economic equations of what a person is. You know, you're just what you make. Uh, and Jesus says, well, let the little kids come to me. And how many of you know the little kids, they ain't making anything, right? And, and God says, you know, let them, let them come to me. Let them come to me. Which is to say, nothing of people who for any number of reasons, uh, reasons like disability or misfortune, they end up being unable to contribute to the GDP of a given society. Like people are precious, regardless of what economics says. In philosophy, well, here's this. People are more than their ability to make reality for themselves. Can I tell you something? I don't want to live in a world where I'm forced to become a reality factor for my own sanity. I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to have to make up my own story every single day. Uh, here's the other thing I want to say to this church. Truth is, is not a, is, truth is not lowercase. Real and absolute truth is not lowercase. There really are cardinal directions in life and we can know them. I don't want to be forced to synthesize meaning constantly. I don't want to be forced to do that. Uh, here's what I need. I don't know about you, but I need a story I can live into. Uh, I need a guiding principle or two, and I don't want to be the sole author of my own story. So then that brings the question back. Well, what are people for? Uh, I admit that's a strange question, or it's at least a strange formulation of a fairly common question. It has related questions. Questions like this, uh, what's the purpose of life? Why are we here? And then there's all these seemingly smaller mutations. Uh, what is my calling? 
What am I supposed to do with my life? What is my vocation? Uh, But for the past few years, I've been stuck in this particular version of the question, what are people for? And I stole it. I stole it from a Wendell Berry essay. It's about four pages long in a collection of essays. Uh, I was given this book of essays by Wendell Berry, and the book of essays is called What Are People For? And when I got it, I turned immediately to that one because I want to know the point of life. I skipped over all the other ones. I went right to what are people for? And, and here's what you find. Uh, here's what you find when you get into, when you get into that little essay. It, it's basically an essay about family farms versus corporate farms and urbanization. It's about, it's about rural spaces versus capitalism and people moving to urban areas. It's about efficiency and it's about productivity. And then in the final two paragraphs, Wendell Berry writes this, and I'm jumping in midstream, and you're just going to have to bear with me because I think at the end this will make a little more sense. Is that okay? Here's what, here's what Uncle Wendell writes. He says, the great question that hovers over this issue, one that we have dealt with mainly by indifference, is the question of what are people for? Is there greatest dignity in unemployment? Is the obsolescence of human beings now our social goal? Would one conclude so from our attitude toward work, especially the manual work necessary to the long-term preservation of the land, and from our rush toward mechanization, automation, computerization, in a country that puts an absolute premium on labor-saving measures, short work days, and retirement, why should there be any surprise at permanence of unemployment and welfare dependency? Those are only different names for our national ambitions. In the country, meanwhile, there's work to be done. This is inescapably necessary work. The work of restoring and caring for our farms, our forests, our rural towns, and our communities. Work that we have not been able to pay people to do for 40 years. And that, thanks to our 40-year solution to the farm problem, few people any longer know how to do. And that's the end of the essay. That's the end of the essay. And I'll admit the first time I read it, I was confused. Like, that's it, Wendell? That's it? This is how you conclude it? That's the point of life? A little two-paragraph rant about working on farm problems? Okay, one little story and then maybe a background about Wendell Berry. Sometimes when you read things like that, you have to sit with them for a while. First time I read that, I was like, what is he getting at here? And I've read quite a bit of, quite a bit of Barry, and I was driving to a soccer match, and I didn't listen to any music for like an hour. I was just alone in the car driving, and I'm just holding all this in my head, and it started to click for me. Um, a few things you have to know about Wendell Berry. A few things. Uh, number one, he's basically a modern-day Old Testament prophet. Uh, he's modern-day Amos. Uh, Wendell Berry is from Kentucky, and in my opinion, he's, he's a modern-day prophet in the form of, of Amos. And uh, he's a writer, and he's a farmer, and he cares deeply about places, people, and especially those that are not considered cosmopolitan. And you might be thinking, well, okay, what does that have to do with anything? But if you were to go back to Berry, and if you were to go back to what he writes here, he seems to be implying that people are for work, and at a certain level, you'd be right, 
But one of the things you have to understand about Barry is words like work are code words. And oftentimes when he uses them, he's meaning something more or different or deeper. And in a, uh, he has a long list of code words, by the way. Uh, he also has code words in his writing like farm and nurture and husbandry. These are words that come up again and again. Uh, and it kind of works like this. If you read him long enough, when he talks about work, what he's mostly talking about is farming. And when he's talking about farming, uh, he's talking about work on actual farms. But what he's really, really, really talking about is the work of nurturing and the nurture of uh, uh, the work of, of, of tender care and the work of growing something and the work of making something, uh, the work of receiving something, but also the work of giving something. They're code words. And here's why, because farms are eco, ecosystems under themselves. And so, you know, you might ask the question, well, what are people for? And Wendell Berry would say, well, they're for work, but they're, what, what he really means is they're, they're for tending, they're for nurturing, and they're for growing, and they're for giving. That's what people are for. Putting our energies into the ground, uh, read for that, living in a place, and caring for everything, uh, including our neighbors, because... As Wendell Berry would write, if my farm, and by the way, farm is a code word in Wendell Berry for my life. This is the way it goes. Because if my farm or my life or my ecosystem uh, ruins my neighbors downstream and in the end I win, then no, much, then no matter how much winning I do, I still haven't lived into my purpose and I forfeited the ultimate reason for being. What are people for? By the way, all of this is a Genesis echo. And so I want to read a couple passages out of Genesis to show you a little bit about where Wendell Berry's coming from, but then also to show you, like, biblically speaking, what is a person for? And so, Seth, maybe we can put up Genesis chapter 2, long about verse 8, I think. You all remember these verses. It says this, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and this is the important part. And there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then let's skip down to verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden. Why? To tend it and to watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of, of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. We'll stop there. Here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Three things as it relates to what are people for. Uh, number one, care. Number two, community. And number three, rest. I think I have a little slide, Seth. Care, community, and rest. I want to talk to you about care for the first little bit. Uh, the first thing that the text this morning says is that God places man in the garden. You made a place just right for him. And, and what I would like to suggest to every person in the room is that your, that your purpose is ultimately connected to a place. Like one of the, one of the great tra tragedies of the modern era is the degree to which 
men and women are dislocated from a place and dislocated from commitment to a place. You know, I mean, one of the things that it, that it takes in order to, to live into your highest purpose, like your God-given purpose, is it takes being rooted and grounded in a place. God makes Eden just for Adam, and it's like perfect. It's got food there, and it's got all kinds of possibility. And it's interesting, it's interesting that the text says that it's a garden. And, and here's what I want you to know about gardens. Garden is another word for potential, right? Like gardens, gardens are places where all kinds of things can happen. But there's this word there that God gives to Adam and he gives to mankind. And it's, it's the word to tend and to watch. He placed them in the garden. Why? To tend and to watch. And if you, if you begin to meditate on the words tend and watch a little bit, the thing that they, that they share in common is this idea of care. Tending is about caring. And watching over is also about caring. Watching over carries with this connotation of like protection, you know? Tend and care. And here's what's interesting is that when God places man in the garden, it was a perfect garden. Like there was, there was no imperfection in the garden and yet it still needed to be tended, uh, watched and cared for. Isn't that interesting? And so there's something that, that all of us have to realize is, is that God wants to plant us in a place. We, he wants us to be located to a geography, uh, to put roots in and to give ourselves. But then, uh, then he, wants, he wants to put us in a place so that we could care for it and that even in Eden, even in perfection, there was a place for humans where it needed nurturing. Like your purpose and my purpose, what are people for? We're for nurturing something. We're for receiving a gift from God. Like the place that, we, that God puts us, it, and this, this, can be, you know, this can be extended in lots of different places, like you know, in lots of different ways. Like I think, I think God wants us to pick up this idea for, for our region for Campbellsville and for Kentucky and for Greene County and, and for Marion County and Adair County. He, God wants us to pick up this idea that we've been placed somewhere and with, we've been given a task, which is to watch and care, to watch and to tend. But, but then God also wants us to nurture it. He wants us to nurture it. There's just something about care. People were made to nurture and to care. Uh, God's order is not static. Uh, God's order calls forth engagement. That's, that's part of what it means. Uh, so to every single person, not just Adam and Eve, uh, not just people somewhere in the Bible, but to you and to me, God is putting us in a place and there's something about a place that's calling forth engagement. And if we can't hear that, we need to get quieter. Because your purpose is connected to the engagement that's being called out to you. Like... And then you go, well, I don't know how to hear that. Well, here's one way you listen. You begin to go, well, if God has placed me here, and if we say that this place that he's put us is a garden, and if it's a garden, then it has potential, then one of the ways that you can listen for the voice of engagement is this. You begin to listen to the voice in your own heart that has vision for what's possible here. Or you begin to listen and you begin to say, what isn't here that should be here? And what is here that should not be here? Like your purpose and my purpose in life is deeply connected to this kind of thinking about this place that we live. This is what it means to nurture and to care. And, and, 
And here's the thing about working in a garden. How many of you have ever worked in a garden? Anybody here ever done that? What happens when you work in the garden? You get dirty. You get, you get dirty. Your purpose in life will not be clean. Your purpose in life will not, will, will not be tidy. Uh, your purpose in life will not be a magazine picture. Your purpose in life, uh, there will be some, there'll be some effort in there. Uh, gardens are places of potential, but that potential is yet unrealized. Somebody has to put in effort and it brings you into contact with dirt and it gets on you and it's, it's all over you. And, and so some of us here, uh, we've been thinking, well, the highest human purpose is the easiest thing. Uh, no, it isn't. In fact, Genesis tells us the opposite. It's a garden uh, that required care and watching over. And because of that, you come in contact with the dirt. You come into contact with your own efforts. You, you, you live from a place of vision because gardens are places of potential. And because of all of that, you're going to get dirty. It's going, it's going to get a little messier than you thought. Uh, it, it's going to put you into contact with things that you didn't realize. You're going to get sweaty. Caring is an invitation to get down into the soil of things, uh, to go to its source. The invitation to care is an invitation to really give something of yourself. Effort comes to mind. And I would say it like this. Real life is never the easy life. People were not made for the easy life. People were not made for the easy life. Real life is the one where we see the place where we've been placed as a garden of potential and we give our best efforts to it to see it grow and flourish. Real life is connected to these things at the base levels all the way down to the soil. Real life is calling out to the part of us that cares, tends, farms, grows, prunes, and sows. There's no real joy apart from this sort of frame, no joy apart from a particular sort of effort in the dirt. This is like base level joy. Number two, community. Community. Seth, can we put verse 18 back up again? It's the last verse we read. Then the Lord God said, he put him in this garden, and then he said, ah, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper who's just right for him. Community. It's a perfect garden, perfect invitation, and for the first time in the Genesis text, this is the first time where the Bible says that something is not good. If you read Genesis 1 and everything up through Genesis 2 up to this point, God's been making things, and when he makes it, God says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then at the end, when God had made the heavens and the earth, he says, it's very good. And then God puts mankind in the garden, and then he says, oh no, this is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good. Of course, this is the moment where God makes a mate for Adam. And there's something here about marriage for sure. But here's what I want you to know this morning of the church. Uh, this metaphor goes way beyond marriage. It goes into the heart of the idea about community. What are people for? What are people for? Uh, people are for caring for things, specifically for the place that they've been placed. But the other thing that people are for is for other people. For other people. What do we need in our call to care and attend? Uh, you need other people. Uh, here's one of the ways that you know, one of the ways that you know that you're actually beginning to hear the invitation of God in your life. Uh, here's how you know that you've begun to hear the actual invitation to call and to nurture and to care. 
when you wake up to the reality that you cannot do it by yourself and it will require other people's help. That is the real thing. The real thing. The thing that God has really put in your heart to do, you'll not be able to do it on your own. You will need a helper. The call of God draws us into community. Now, here's, here's the thing. This little passage we read is definitely about marriage. It definitely is, but it extends beyond that. And here's what's wild about this metaphor. The call of God requires us to have greater community because we're going to need help. But then the result of that greater community is what? More community. You know, it's like Adam needed help. He gets Eve. What happens when Adam has Eve? They have, they have more people, Right. And so this is, this is one of the things that people are for. People are for that divine task of nurturing and caring for the place that God has placed you. It will require other people's help. And the result is that when we're in our sweet spot, there will be, there'll be a flourishing of other people and community around us. Which is to say, uh, you, you can't do something alone. Here's the other thing I hear in this community word. Uh, the other thing I hear is this. Uh, God is calling us out to do something big. Community... Community is powerful because where there's agreement, there's power. Like you read the New Testament over and over again. Uh, anytime there's agreement, there's power. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when the brothers what? Dwell together in unity. What's the end of that passage? Uh, it's, that's the place that God commands the blessing, right? There's power in community. And so there's really an, actually an invitation here to do something big. The garden that God has placed us in, the one that he's calling us to nurture and care for to get into the dirt, it doesn't just require community, but he wants to bring us together with other help because there's potential to do more than most people here imagine. And can I tell you something about a lot of people in central Kentucky? People in central Kentucky are on survival mode and they think that the world is scarcity. They think that the world is poverty. They think that the only thing that's possible are the things that they've seen. And here's what I want you to know. That is not true. It is not true. But the way out is not isolation. The way out is not individualism. The way out is together. It is together. It's community. There's a community word. Here's the second thing I hear about community. Do something big, one. Number two, get ready to compromise. Nobody gets to do everything their own way. Does anybody get to have a marriage where everything's your own way? No. It doesn't happen that way. You spend your first five years trying. You do. You spend your first five years, you spend your first five years trying to change that other person. And then they don't. And then you're like, what? Like, I have to change. No. Compromise. Dude, I'm behind. Let's move. Rest. Wow, how did I get so behind? There's so much more here. Rest. And man, what a great word. What a great word. Here's why it's a great word. Because the point of life isn't just to work. The point of life isn't just to put your efforts into the soil and get dirty. The point of life isn't just anxious caring for everything all the time. It's also rest. Uh, remember in the Genesis text that after God had made creation, he also rested from his work. And by the way, rest is not just lack of activity. It's rooted in enjoyment. I just want to read a couple of scriptures to you from Genesis. Uh, maybe 131, Seth. 
God had made everything. And then he looked over all that he had made and he saw it was very good. And the next verse is about how he just, he rested from all of his work, right? And then in two, two through three, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in it was completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished the work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And then look at verse three. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was when he rested from all of his work. Like, like the point of life, uh, what are people for? It's nurturing and caring and community, but it's also rest. And, and rest is where we, where we enter into the blessing of God. And when we think about rest, we, we sometimes think about that word Sabbath. It's a good word. But Sabbath, it doesn't mean just like don't do things. Sabbath means enter into enjoyment. How many of you see in the text here at the end of chapter one and beginning of chapter two that when God had created the heavens and the earth and when he settled into rest, God wasn't just putting his feet up like, oh, I'm really tired. Rather, what God was doing is entering into the full joy of what he had made. Rest is something to do with enjoyment. Our lives are not meant to be anxious activity. The point of life is to garden, to tend, to care, but then it's also, it's also enjoying. Like what are people for? Enjoyment. Like your life was meant to be enjoyed. There's something inside of us that needs, I'll use the word play here. Like there's something inside of us that needs play. And, and what's wild is, is that adults often, often like mature, I'm using air quotes here, mature out of play. And, and when you begin to mature out of play, here's what I can tell you, your soul is withering. And not only is your soul withering, but you're actually taking active steps outside of like God's preordained good plan for you. Like God wants every single person to work, to sweat, to give an effort, to find a community, to be committed to a place, to nurture it, to have vision about its potential based upon what it has and what it doesn't. But God also wants enjoyment and rest, like divine pleasure deep on the inside. Good. Have you ever been in the middle of a really beautiful garden or, or a forest and just settled in to enjoy it? Uh, like three years ago, uh, me and River and Seth, we were on top of this mountain somewhere in North Carolina. We were in the Pisgah Forest and it was like October and we just stopped because we realized that the whole forest where we were at in the elevation, we were in this wild place where every single tree around us was a hard maple and they were all red and there was no one there and it was dead quiet and there were these like little leaves falling down and there was barely any breeze. I mean, it was dead, dead quiet. And Seth says to me, he's like, Dad, is this, is this like where the elves live? In Rivendell? And I said, yes. And we just, we just stopped it. It was like this magical thing happened, right? It was so magical. And, it, and it, it so encapsulates this idea of, it was like rest, but it was, it was wonder and enjoyment. It was, like, it was like something about the environment was actually giving, giving back to us. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like how do you know you've actually begun to enter into 
your purpose in life, when the place that you have nurtured is somehow giving back to you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Your life was made for, for rest, connection to the fruits of one's labor, but then also a connection to God. I don't have time. Oh, man, I'm out. Okay. Maybe three questions for us to begin to settle with. Oh, we're going to pick more of this up before the end of the year. We're going to do a whole big series on this. We're going to do a whole big series called What, what Are People For? Uh, and uh, it's going to be great. But maybe three questions just to begin to prime the pump. Number one, uh, what is God calling you to tend? M- maybe you know, you know? Maybe you know. Uh, but maybe you don't. Uh, and that would be a good question to hold out before God. God, what are you calling me to care for, to nurture, and to tend? Uh, and then question number two, uh, where is your garden? Where is your garden? Like there's big gardens, but then there's also like little gardens, you know? And, and hopefully, hopefully you're in the spot in your life where the big garden is central Kentucky, you know? But maybe there's a, like a real particular corner of that big garden that God is giving you. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a classroom, or maybe it's where you work, or maybe it's a neighborhood, or maybe it's a project in town, you know? There's like something in town that just isn't right, and it needs someone to farm it a little bit, you know? There's some things that we have here that we need to get rid of. There's some things we don't have here that we need to bring in. What is it? And then question number three, question number three, uh, who are your neighbors? Who are your neighbors? That, that community work. Like who, who is the help that God is calling you to receive, but then also to give to? So uh, maybe we could just land there this morning. If you're on the worship band, why don't you come on up? And if you're not on the worship band, why don't you just stand up where you're at? I want to pray with us and for us today. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.